Welcome to A Little Bit Radical, a business podcast from Standing on Giants. I'm Rob, your host. Join me as I meet people and organisations who are doing things differently, challenging the status quo and yes, might just be a little bit radical. Timpson has been a fixture on our high street since 1865. Known for being a go-to for repairs and key cutting, amongst other very handy services, Timpson have over 2,000 stores across the UK and Ireland. However, look a little closer and there's far more to this business than meets the eye. First of all, Timpson Group is also responsible for high street favourites like Max Spielman, Johnson's Dry Cleaners and Snappy Snaps, amongst many others. But it's really the people that make this business a little bit different and, of course, a little bit radical. They are now the largest employer of ex-offenders in the UK, with 10% of their workforce being given an opportunity after a criminal conviction. My guest today has quite the job title, Director of Happiness. Janet Layton has been with Timpson for nearly 20 years and is infamous within the company. Janet, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to today's podcast because I've heard such great things about it. It's a pleasure to have you, Janet. Thank you. Janice, I'm actually going to part with tradition and I'm going to ask you a a, a sort of bonus question to start our conversation before we go into the main interview, because I feel like you should hear this, which is that when I was doing my research, I spoke to someone who had come across you and and he said, go into any Timpson store and ask about Janet. Everyone loves her and she's bonkers. (laughs) Do you think that's, is that a fair assessment of your role in the company? I'd say that's a, a very accurate and definitely true assessment that I am a little bit bonkers. But I have to say, I'm not the only one in the business that is. There's many of us, many of us indeed. It's in the water, is it, up in, uh, up in Manchester? It's definitely the stuff that we drink, I'm sure of it. Fantastic. So on we go. So, Janet, if you are a little bit radical or a little bit bonkers in, in your case, um, and you're on our podcast, so we know that you are, what do you think in your early life set you up for that? I think luckily for me, I was, I was born quite a happy child, naturally happy, and quite the optimist. Some people find that difficult to deal with sometimes because I always believe that ultimately things will turn out for the better. So I think growing up I was a bit like that, which led me to always believe no matter what, things will improve. And no matter what we do, there's always room for improvement. So I think growing up, that's driven me to be the person I am today. And luckily when I go to work, I can just be myself. So I get paid to do something that doesn't feel like work to me. It's just part of my lifestyle. And that does make a big difference to me, I think. So I think growing up, I was encouraged to be happy and be myself. So now I find it really easy to just be myself because there's no point in being anybody else's. No, I agree with that, definitely. And I think that's a common theme on this podcast, actually, amongst guests that as they've grown confident to be themselves, they have found that their more radical nature has found a better home because it's just them. And it sounds like that's the same for you too. Definitely is. And I think it's very important to be yourself at work. Otherwise, it makes life very, very difficult for each individual. There's no point going to work if you're not happy with doing what you're doing. So it's a real matter of fact, basic stuff for me. I agree with that. And that sounds very important to your role as Director of Happiness. So we're going to get onto that later. Interestingly, you talked about optimism there. And I think there's lots of things going on in the world over the last couple of years, right now as we're recording that you could say make it quite hard to be an optimist. How do you maintain that optimism and that idealism, even in the face of big challenges? 
I think it's about believing in yourself and believing in others, even when things aren't going well. I think nobody's born bad. We're not. Nobody's born deciding that they're going to be the most powerful person in the world. It's about hoping and believing that although people are powerful and things do go wrong, that people can still be nice and considerate and caring as a human being. It doesn't matter whether you're worth billions of pounds or whether you're worth 20 pence. You can still be considerate to others. And I think it's about believing that the world can be a better place just by being kind and considerate to others. Again, a common theme we're getting from a lot of guests. Some of them have called it sort of radical kindness. You know, kindness is a radical act. It sounds like you're a, a kind of a subscriber to that. So as an adult, you were this sort of optimistic, happy child. How has becoming an adult changed you over the years or not? And do you feel more radical as an adult or less? And what's been behind that? I think as an adult, I feel more radical, even more capable of having the freedom to be myself. And if people don't like that, then that's unfortunate. Yeah, we do have to adapt to other people's needs, but I don't see any point in trying to be anybody else. And also being happy around people will encourage those that are not generally very happy to either move on and go and do something else or stick with you and put up with your happiness and craziness. That's how I feel about it, definitely. Excellent. Yeah, I can see how that energy is infectious for all your colleagues that you work with. So let's move on to your work now and this brilliant business, Timpson, that you've been at for nearly 20 years. I mean, first of all, being somewhere for what must be pretty much your whole career, what's kept you there for that long? Because that's a long time to work at one place. I think it's having the freedom and autonomy to do what I feel is the right thing to do. Because that works for the business and it works for me as an individual. And I think if you can do that and have that freedom and empowerment to be the best you can possibly be, then why would you want to move on? And also in our business, things change so rapidly that nearly 20 years feels like five minutes. So there's never that time and moment to think, you know what, this is quite dull because it's never dull. Because as soon as one thing is done, we're on to the next. And that became very clear to me when I first approached you to appear on this podcast. So I initially approached your boss and it was a bit of a, I don't know, a moonshot or taking my chances where I just found his email address on the internet, hoped that it would go to the right sort of place, expected a kind of generic reply back, perhaps from an assistant or a PR department or anything. And actually James himself messaged me back, <laughs> which really surprised me. I think it was meant to be on holiday as well. So maybe you struggle to take holidays at, at Timpson. But then he put us in touch and, and we talked about this. And you were talking to me about how you, you don't have a marketing department or a, a PR department at Timpson. So you just do it all yourselves. Is that right? That's correct. People often say to me, could I speak to your comms team, please? Sorry? We don't have one. Oh, your PR team. Really sorry we haven't got one of those either. Your marketing team then, I'm really sorry, we definitely don't have one of those. And people say, how do you do it? We just basically get on, roll our sleeves up and do whatever we need to do to make things happen. And that's how we all work. We work collectively, but also as individuals to make things happen. And it does. And it's somehow this crazy upside down management world we're living in Timpsons works really well for all of us. It's a bit like jack of all trades and master of none. Oh, that's interesting. So you think that everyone working at Timpson is a bit of a, a jack of all trades, would you say? Definitely. 
I like that. And it is, it is quite a radical way to run a business. Uh, I certainly can't imagine many CEOs of the size of business that Timpson is responding in, in that way. <laughs> so yeah. No, and that that is true. And and Jade will always respond as quickly as possible to anybody that, uh, that contacts him, including all the colleagues within the business. And there's 5,000 of us. So you can imagine how busy his inbox actually is. Of course. And that sends a really important message. And clearly you, as a leader within this business, have a kind of similar ethos that everyone deserves to be listened to. Is that a good way of characterizing it? And can you tell us more kind of about that? That is 100% accurate. We're all equal. There's no hierarchy in our business. Anybody can speak to anybody about anything. There are no doors closed. And people often do. People will find somebody they trust, that they believe in, that they can go to and talk about anything. And it's amazing how many people do that. Amazing how many people go straight to James when they need some help or support or guidance. People come to me. People go to absolutely anybody. And there's no issue with that. In so many businesses, they have this hierarchy and nobody really knows anybody. But we all know each other, even though it's a large business. We're all on first name terms and, and it's great because it's like having one massive family. It's like your family, but a lot bigger, assuming you've not got 5,000 people in your family. Getting on for it, but not quite, yeah. no. <laughs> feels like that sometimes. And I imagine that's so important and actually something quite hard to achieve when most of your colleagues work by themselves, don't they? They're, they're in uh, you know a kiosk somewhere working alone. So it's quite something to have achieved that feel that everyone does actually know each other and is on first name terms. Can you start to tell us now about your role as Director of Happiness? Such an interesting job title. How would you sum up your role and tell and tell us how you how you got there as well? Because I, I gather that that wasn't your role when you joined uh, twenty years ago. So tell us about that journey. Yeah, that's right. I joined back in uh, it was two thousand and four as finance manager, and had always been in finance all my adult life and until that point. So I joined in two thousand and four and spent ten years as a finance manager. Now I love money and I love finance, but I love people even more. So I used to spend a lot of my time managing the team of people during the day and then I'd fit in the finance bits in between either really early or late at night and I loved the people element of it. And then when I got to about 50, I thought, you know what? I need to do something else that's people related. I really want to. And got the opportunity to manage our warehouse as well. And I'm not practical in any way, shape or form. I am much better now, but I certainly wasn't. So I spent the first probably four or five weeks ringing my husband on a daily basis to say, how do we do this? How do we do that? He's an electrician, so he's very practical. Well, I'm used to him being around. So after a few weeks, I got a handle on it. I wore my high vis all the time. It was great. So I spent a couple of years doing that. And then we acquired Johnson's Dry Cleaners in 2017. And whenever we acquire a business culturally, they don't get us. Because as a business, why would you want these people rocking up and saying, we do this, we do that. It's all these strange things. So then I also spent a day a week there helping them with the culture. And then it was probably midway to 2017. James asked if, if I'd do this new role. I didn't know the job title at that point. We didn't have a job title. It was about getting out and supporting our colleagues. And then James did mention to me, he said, what do you think about this idea of this title? So I said, go on, what is it? Well, when he told me, I was actually operations manager at that point. When he told me the title, I nearly fell off my chair. Because you would, wouldn't you? I'd never heard of a director of happiness. I was like, 
this is going to be strange. But little did I realise the seriousness of what it would become. So in 2018, January, we started this role. The idea was to get out and support all our colleagues who needed help to find out how happy they were. And if they weren't happy, why weren't they happy? What did they need? So it's about making sure that our colleagues have got that freedom and the autonomy to do what they believe is the right thing to do, to make the business profitable and to keep them happy as well. So that's where it all started. And then it's just grown and grown and grown over the last few years. Uh, with the pandemic, obviously, there's a lot of work involved then. Yeah, so I look back now and I think every business should have one of these, without a doubt. Really interesting, yeah. So, But in a lot of businesses, happiness is, it's almost a dirty word or a, it's a nice to have. It's not expected. Yeah, very soft. It's all soft and fluffy. Actually, happiness isn't soft and fluffy. Happiness is very direct. It's having that direct approach and being able to speak to people openly and say things like, if you're not happy and it's not working for you, find your happiness elsewhere. Now, that's not a soft and fluffy approach, is it? It's quite a direct approach. And those are sorts of conversation we will have. Or if you're not happy, explain why you're not happy and we'll do our best to support you as long as you're a brilliant colleague. I love that because it's, it's pragmatic. It's kind of going in and going that actually happiness and well-being is something that can be worked on every day. And actually, it's a joint responsibility as well between leadership and the colleagues themselves. Is that how you'd, you'd say it as well? So it's not a lot of well-being programs now that you see are about the company deciding to kind of sponsor certain initiatives for the company, right? But you see it, well, everything you, you talk about bottom-up as like a central kind of cultural tenet at Timpson. So presumably happiness is the same. Of course it is. We are very radical. We don't do anything like other businesses do. For instance, we decided we needed to do a mental health first aid course, as lots of businesses have done, haven't they? So everybody goes out to a, an external business, professionals, oh no, we do our own. We research, we put everything together, we created our own course. And in doing that, our one-day course, we've created, we've got in excess of 108 mental health first aiders in our business now. But they're all in-house. Everything we do is in-house. We find our own Timson way of doing whatever we do. And it is very, very different than everybody else. But we like it that way because our culture is so unique and so special. We know that we can create results, even though we're not experienced you know, we're not brilliant at lots of things. We learn as we go. But it works really well for us and for our colleagues. In an example like that, do you think it's the, the sense of ownership that you all have from doing something like that in-house that ultimately creates the results you're looking for? 100%. It's about ownership, being collaborative, working as a team. That's a team of 5,000. That's not a team of one or two. We're one big family and we work together as that family. Just like you would in your family. If something goes wrong with one of your family members, you're all there to help them. We do exactly the same with our colleagues. But we expect in return the input from them to the hard work, the dedication. But because we're all committed to what we do, it doesn't feel like hard work and dedication. We just get on and do it. It's natural to us. And they've probably got 5% of our colleagues who don't really get us. Yeah, who've somehow survived. But what we do is focus on the 95% of colleagues who are brilliant. Powerful stuff. And so your 
day-to-day, Janet, what do you spend your time doing as a director of happiness? And why, when I asked someone, you know, they said, go into any Timpsons and ask them about Janet. And you've got how many stores, did we say? Two, t- About 2,100, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you visited all 2,000? Not quite. I've visited lots of stores and sometimes they go into our branches and they'll say, I've been waiting for you to turn up. I'm like, oh, is there anything you need? No, but I don't know why you haven't been here and you've been everywhere else. It does happen a lot. So, yeah, I mean, my role is very varied, but it's really into, see, I'd say three areas, three main areas. One is to look after our colleagues' uh, emotional well-being guidance, support, and, and do whatever I can. The other one is to look after our colleagues' financial well-being. And the third one is to act as ambassador. I spend time with other businesses doing talks and really all about our culture. So rounded, it's a, it's a third, a third, a third, you would say. so. But a typical day for me could be anything from somebody ringing up to say, I'm feeling really low, I don't know where to turn, uh, I need some help. Or financially, uh, this morning I've got one, somebody's not paid the council tax. So they're being visited, they're talking about eviction and taking all sorts of them. This, I get a lot of those sort of things. Or I'm homeless after last night because I've split up from a partner and I've got nowhere to sleep. Can you help me please? I'm looking to rent a new home. I can't find one anywhere because we all know how difficult times are. And all these things are actually time precious. It's not something you can say, well, we'll deal with that next week. Everything we do, we have to deal with on a daily basis. You know, if somebody's feeling really low emotionally or they stood on a bridge somewhere talking about taking their own life, we know we've got to react immediately. So a lot of what we do do is done straight away. We have to work in a dynamic way to make it happen. I think that's really, that's really eye-opening, the breadth of issues that you're helping your colleagues deal with. And the family word keeps coming back. You've said that a number of times. And it's a great responsibility to your colleagues helping them through these issues. How do you view that responsibility? And a lot of businesses would say that that's not really our responsibility. You know, you're you're an individual. You do a job for us. We pay you. The rest is kind of up to you. Why do all of this extra stuff? Well, this is where I think, as a business, we're right and many, many other businesses are wrong. We take the approach that when somebody goes to work, if they've got problems away from home, no matter what they say, they will bring them into work and they won't be that effective. So what we try and do is eradicate all those problems, family problems, whatever those problems are, away from work so that when they do come to work, they're more productive, they're more efficient, Yeah, they give excellent customer service. In turn... Our customers are happy. In turn, our bank account is very, very happy. So we've got proof in cash terms. We've got proof that this sort of thing really, really does work. And that's why we're cash rich and we don't have any issues. And I think a lot of businesses don't seem to understand that. The more you do for your colleagues, the better and more productive your business will be. Yes, it can be hard work for those people given that support, but it's worth it in the long run if you want to be cash rich. Well, I don't think there'll be a single business listening who doesn't want to be cash rich, Janet. So, yeah, so look after your people, become cash rich. That's a very tempting prospect. Um, One final question to you around calling out financial well-being as a big area. And this is something that's emerging for a lot of businesses, how to 
support their colleagues financially. And is it hard to get over the fact that, right, the best way to support your colleagues financially is just pay them more money? Is that a fair point or not? I don't believe it is. I think it's a short-term motivator, okay? If you get paid an extra, I don't know, 500 pounds a month even, I'll give you three months. You will have forgotten because you've used that money. You still won't have any more disposable income. You'll have done something with it. Whatever that is, you've spent it on your family, on on whatever. You've wasted it, you've done whatever. So I think it's a short-term motivator. Whereas if you help somebody who's in financial difficulty or emotional difficulty, they will remember that forever. I've had, last two weeks, I've had two colleagues who've lost a family member and they can't afford the funeral because there's no money. So we've paid for that. We've paid for the funerals for both those colleagues and that's not unusual. And those colleagues will remember forever that we've paid for their family funeral. Whereas that colleague's not going to remember that I got that £500 increase. It's not going to happen. The more personal it is, the better it will be in terms of how the colleague will feel emotionally about it. It's not about making people think, oh, Timson's is great because we've provided for the funeral. It's about them thinking, you know what, what a touching and personal thing that somebody's done for me that they'll take with them for the rest of their life. I think that's incredibly inspiring to, and I know that it's not the only example of things that you that you do for your colleagues. I think when we first spoke, you were telling me about um, a programme of, of interest-free loans that you you give, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we have a hardship fund. Uh, it runs at about 400000 at any given time. And what we do is if a colleague is struggling and they come to us, let's just say they can't pay a bill or, or, or they've got in debt or they can't pay the rent, then we will loan them their money and we charge an admin fee of 5% over the period of time so there's no interest charge. And then we just take it out the salary so that they don't have to find it every month. But what you've got to remember with all these great things we do, yeah, we recruit on personality because we believe we can train colleagues. So what we're looking for at all times is that sparkle, that person that you know is going to get involved and and do the things that they need to do and think for themselves and enjoy themselves and have fun. If we've got colleagues that aren't superstars, we love our superstars, if we haven't got that, then We're not going to go out of our way to help those colleagues. The answer may well be, I'm sorry, we can't help you on this occasion. And that does happen too. We're really lucky that, as I say, 95% of our colleagues are superstars. And that makes a massive difference, really, really big difference. I love the honesty and the transparency there, you know, and there'll be a better business for those people to work for that will suit them better right it's so true we're not afraid to say to somebody you know you're not happy here you're not enjoying what you're doing it's not working well for us either how about we help support you find another role somewhere in another business where you will be happy it's not that people are bad people they're just not happy where they are we're not happy with them so why not effectively leave as friends yeah i think that's a very grown-up way of approaching it certainly rather than going through long drawn-out processes of pretending that you know that it can all be resolved when ultimately everyone would be happier apart like having a good divorce you know there is a good divorce is possible right it is possible and yep i was dealing one of those just recently in fact i'm going to see a colleague of ours who's getting a divorce and uh, we had that same conversation that is cheaper in the long run to do it together (laughs) rather than you know do it 
the way that most people do it through the courts and through solicitors. And that's the approach that we're going through at the moment to try and help this colleague do stuff like that. I love the personalised approach and the approach to helping people with what may be hampering their ability to bring their whole self to work. You know, you said at the very top of our interview, how important for you it is that you can bring your whole personality to work. And there are these life challenges that crop up and stop us doing that. You know, the one that many of my guests have heard me talk about is when my son decides not to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> then I'm operating on a third of the amount of sleep. You know, that's yeah, it's a genuine thing. I'll have to speak to my boss about them paying for Super Nanny to cover up. Yes, that's what you need, definitely. So, Janet, you've told us about your superstars, these people that are kind of Timpson people. And one of the areas that I think you deserve the most admiration for is that you think you can find these people anywhere, often where other businesses don't look. And so I'd love to spend some time talking about your work with ex-offenders. So now, the stats I, I found on your website was 10% of your workforce have a criminal conviction. Uh, talk to us about that, how that approach first started and then where it is today. And so James started by going into prisons. And then one of the first prisons he went into, he, he, he met somebody there that was showing him around, who wasn't a colleague then. This person, it was called Matt actually, had a spark about him. He was really quite polite and he had something about him. So he had quite a few months left to serve. And James said to him, well, have my card. When you get out, contact me and I'll give you a job. A good few months later, he gets a call. And it wasn't from Matt, it was from Matt's mother to say, you promised my son a job. He's out of prison. Can he have that job? He's like, yeah, sure. And that was probably about 11 years ago. 12 years ago, and Matt's still with us today and doing really, really well. So that's how it all started. And obviously, James has been heavily involved uh, in the prisons and firmly believes that people should have a second chance. So what we do is we go into prisons and meet lots of people, obviously. But when we recruit, we don't just recruit anybody, okay? We're recruiting in the same way we would recruit from somebody who was just off the high street. We're looking for that spark and that personality. What we do expect is for people in prison to be able to talk about what's happened. Because if they can't do that and can't explain what happened, then they've not learned to live with it themselves. So when we do recruit, they come out of prison, some colleagues come to us on lawful. So it just means that it's called release on temporary license, which means that where you and I would go home every night, they go back to the prison every night, but they still work like they would like we all do. So they could be with us for 12 months, released on temporary license. And what's really good about that is they get used to what they're doing. So by the time they actually are released properly, they've been with us 12 months already. So they know the job inside out. They know what they're doing, which is really, really great. In other, other situations, we'll just get them straight from prison, not, not on temporary release. They'll just come straight to us, which is absolutely fine. And quite often colleagues who come from prison, so people with prison lived experience will come and say, I'm a bit worried. Um, I don't want anybody to know what I've done, which is absolutely fine other than their direct manager. But we say, it's not a problem. You don't need to tell anybody. Nobody will be bothered about you or anything. You're just another person like we are. And normally within about an hour, they've told everybody because they feel so comfortable in, in our environment. They can do it. Happens all the time. 
But on a serious note, I think it's great that we get colleagues from prison because they've got different experience. So they bring that diversity. They've got experience that, that I haven't got because I've never spent time in prison other than visiting. And I think that, that gives us a real added value. And often the colleagues who've been in prison are quite cheeky, in some cases greedy. So what they decide to do is, well, it didn't work last time when I tried it the other way, so I'll try an honest living, but I'll sell, sell, sell. I'll get decent salary, but more importantly, I'll make lots of bonus. As a great branch manager, they tend to have good chats and they know what they're talking about, so they make a lot of money, so that, that works for them. So some of your top performers oh, yeah. are from prison recruitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've got people in every part of our business. We've got area managers who uh, have come from prison. We've got people in branches. We've got people in our support functions. You, you can't go anywhere in our, in our business, in any area, without finding somebody who's been in prison. You would never know the difference as a visitor. But yeah, yeah. So and we're proud to have those people with us because... We've all done things. We've all um, been speeding down the motorway one day. We just haven't been caught for it, have we? You know, so it does work incredibly well for our business. And I'm proud to say that, you know, it will continue. Definitely. Sometimes people say to me, is it true that every colleague in the business has been in prison? I say, not not everyone. <laughs> just a percentage of us. People do ask me that. Well, I guess because it's so, it is a radical move and you're so well known for it, then people start assuming that it's the yeah the only place you recruit from that's really interesting i think it's great to hear as well that they can enter any part of the business as well because i think again that would be a kind of um for want of a better word kind of i don't know paternalistic trap to fall into that you create these sort of special roles over here for the ex-offenders and that doesn't feel right at all no we would never do that and um, these colleagues are just like you and i are Let's face it, we know where these colleagues have come from, okay? You don't know where Joe Bloggs off the street, who's just been on a bus to get to you, who's been for an interview, where they've really been from. You know, we don't look at CVs. All we want is a name and a telephone number. We're not interested in where you've come from, what you've done. It's what you're doing today and what you want to do tomorrow. But on the flip side of that, you can't sit in our business for 20 years and think, well, I've been here that long. I can sit back and put my feet up. Oh, no, there's no time for that. We've no time for that. You've got to be just as good today as you were 20 years ago, which is great. It sounds like you embody that very strongly, Janet. <laughs> yeah, I do. I feel strongly <laughs> so, about that. Yeah. Lead by example. <laughs> Staying with, with ex-offenders for a while, at the time of recording this, we're recording in October, and actually just in the, in the news has, has come out a quite damning report about the state of prisons in the, in the UK and around the world. There are many countries where it's, not much better or or worse but talk to us for a moment around how you view that around how Timpson as a company view that and the kind of environments that your colleagues are coming from when they've come from the prison system yeah it is very difficult and like you say we hear all the news about overcrowding and, and stuff like that and even from my small part of the experience going into prisons and meeting and working with people who come from prison is dare I say it's not the place to be because people aren't unless they're really lucky they're not actively encouraged to do better you know to learn to improve to make sure that you don't go backwards you've got to actually be I think a real self-starter 
to find yourself in there and then to get yourselves out of there. And I think that's the difficulty. I've come across governors who just don't care. They just don't care. They don't care about their own job, so they certainly don't care about other people. And I think that, that that's a sad state. Um, and I think what we need is more businesses to work with prisons to get them out of prison as soon as possible and on the straight and narrow so they don't return. It costs us so much money in taxes to keep those people in there when really we should be getting them out, getting them educated and getting them out as quickly as possible and getting them back into society so they can pay their taxes. It's just not working at the moment. It's just not working. And I don't have all the answers. I definitely don't. But I do know that if in the prisons there was more work towards actual release rather than having them sat in cells all day long, you know, preparing them for release, helping them, giving them more support, um, more emotional well-being support, I think that would help to get them back out on the road and to have a fulfilling life and, you know, do what they need to do to make money and, and make it properly rather than try and make it in a, in a very different way that you get caught out. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see some changes. You're unlikely to take a different path if one has never been shown to you, you know, and I, I know that the most cynical, you know, researchers and and the like it's called prison crime school. You know, uh, reoffending rates are shocking. People go in with minor offences and then leave and ultimately end up doing more serious crime. And that can't be right. And while you don't have all the answers, as you say, I'm sure that what Timpson are doing is a great example of part of the answer, which is give people a purpose, give people an opportunity and, yeah, give them a route to contribute. And you're in your job title feel happy about what they're doing it's right i mean we've got colleagues i can think of one in particular who's been with us uh 10 years he's been with us about 10 years now and um he had a dreadful start in life and you can see how he actually got to prison and i'm not going to see through no fault of his own but as a child he had that difficult start in life where he was um, being given drugs at a very very young age not even a teenager encouraged to go out thieving with family members when he was about eight or nine. It happens. He spent years and years and years in prison before he joined us. And you know what? He is a fabulous colleague. You know, and very dear to my heart. You know, he is, he tries his best. He's, he's as honest as the day's long. He's trying really hard and will continue to try to make sure that he never goes back. And that's because he's had some support. If he didn't have any support, if he went to another business and, and he wasn't supported, so he basically left the prison, went to a new job, and people didn't bother with that support. He would not have survived. Not in this real world, he wouldn't have survived. Well, and first of all, what's the first thing that you need to do when you apply for a job? You have to fill out a disclosure questionnaire, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that there must be a problem where people with criminal convictions don't even get interviews. You must have spoken to colleagues that had no other opportunities. Is that, that must be a big problem, right? Yes, that's why we're very clear when we actually do have an application bomb, we're very clear on it that we're not bothered about criminal conviction. We actually say that and state that. And then when we meet people, we say, we're really not bothered about your criminal conviction. It's different if you're a sex offender or something, that, that is quite different just because, and arsonists, arsonists for insurance purposes, sex offenders, because we have to, you know, protect our, our colleagues anyway. Uh, but other than that, 
No. So other businesses will, unfortunately, decline people because of their convictions, which I don't entirely agree with because how else are they going to get on in life? They're going to end up reoffending and costing the businesses and the individuals a lot more money. Absolutely. And going back to your optimism, and let's uh, be optimistic and that there's lots of businesses listening to this podcast who have heard the benefits from you of hiring, you know, those who haven't had the best life so far, shall we say it that way. How how would they go about you know, hiring ex-offenders, would you say? What are some practical steps that they could take to start exploring this? Well, the first thing they could do is actually pick up the phone and contact me at Timpsons. We've got our Director of Diversity and Inclusion, who's also in charge of our, our foundation. And Darren works with lots and lots of prisoners and governors, Department of Justice, and he's absolutely brilliant. He's got so much experience. He will help and guide and do anything that we need to do to, to help businesses uh, get people on board. So I would urge anybody who's interested to contact myself, ring Timpsons Direct, whatever, and um, you know we'll get you sorted. We'll get you that support and help that you need. Well, that's very kind of you. And you will reply, as I found out. So. <laughs> oh, definitely we will, without a doubt. If, if it changes one person's life and it helps another business, you know, these people have got great experience. They've got a life experience that a lot of us don't have. And that brings real added value to any business. Absolutely. And that's a great place to wrap up the, the work section of our chat today. Let's turn our attention to the world, a little bit radical world, and your ideas that you would like to see um, see implemented. Now, of course, a lot of your work is really entrenched with a broader societal issue that we've been talking about at length. But what's a little bit of a radical change for the world that you would like people to get behind? I think, for me, if, if I was in power, clearly I never will be. And um... I'd vote for you, Janet. <laughs> I said one vote, then wouldn't I? I would make people be very honest, really honest, even if those conversations are difficult. Because I think until you sit round a table and be honest and stop lying and stop skirting around the truth, you're not going to achieve anything. And I think if we could do that as a society in the world, is sit around the table. And I know it's easy to say sit around the table. I'm not talking sit around the table, have a cup of tea, it'll all be better. I'm talking about having those very honest conversations. And I think society is not good at having those conversations. And I think sometimes it's needed in a very polite way. I would insist on it if I was in power. <laughs> I think that's brilliant, Janet. You'd have me signed up to that straight away. It's the only way that any conflict of any kind from the biggest conflict in the world to the small conflicts that you might have every day with your family, friends and colleagues. Nothing gets resolved unless you have that honest conversation, ultimately. Ultimately, it has to end there, doesn't it? Otherwise, you just spiral. Yeah, that's fantastic. Bit of a cliche quote, but I quite like it, which is that sunlight is the best disinfectant. So as you say, when people stop bringing things out into the open, it has a real cleansing effect. It is very true, and I just wish more people... Even in business, if you look at businesses, people are not honest from the top down, and that's the problem. I think sometimes it's got to work. You need that open culture where people are not afraid to be honest, even if people don't quite like it. As long as people talk about it in the right way, then it should be acceptable in businesses. But with a lot of leaders, they won't even go there. 
well, hopefully we can take more of a leaf out of the Timpson Leaders book and bring some honesty into our work at large, Janet. So very sadly, we're coming to the end of our conversation today. It's been brilliant to talk to you and hear more about your your work and Timpson's work. But the last question is always the same, which is there's someone listening out there who has a little bit of a radical idea for their own life, for their for their work, for a business they want to start, whatever it might be, but they don't know where to get started. What advice would you give that person? I'd say sit down, make a plan, and then start to find somebody that you trust, that you believe in, and share your thoughts and emotions and ideas and plans. And hopefully that somebody you trust will be good enough to say, yes, come on, you've got this, let's do it. Or don't do it because it's the wrong thing to do. That's all you need. Just that one person behind you supporting you to say you've got this. And that's where I would start. Fantastic advice. Janet, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a wonderful conversation, very special to me. So thank you very much and I hope to speak to you many times in the future. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please follow us on your podcast platform. If you'd like to appear on A Little Bit Radical or have an idea of someone we should speak to, please email podcast at standingongiants.com. Or get in touch with me on LinkedIn. You can search Rob Fawkes or search Standing on Giants and you'll find me there. Thank you very much and speak to you next time. Mm